Welcome to the Incluvi Movie Podcast, where we talk about all things media and diversity. I'm Matthew Stiuso. And I'm Aria Davis. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing Promising Young Woman, an Academy Award-winning film by Emerald Fennell, starring Carrie Mulligan as a former medical student who seeks to expose the evils of sexual assault in a twisted tale of revenge. We will also be joined later by Sarah Erskine to talk about her thoughts on the film. Before that, we're going to get into our pop culture moment and talk about what's new and trending in entertainment. If you've been consistently listening to our podcast, first of all, thank you. You may have noticed that award shows are a hot topic on our pop culture moment. And recently, the Golden Globes have become quite a hot button issue. After years of a consistent lack of diversity in nominees and winners, and the recent admittance that the HFPA has zero black voters, Several celebrities and production companies, including Netflix and Amazon, have boycotted 2022's Golden Globes, leading to the ceremony's cancellation by NBC. So there is a lot to unpack here, but I do want to say I absolutely support boycotting the Golden Globes for the sake of restructuring the HFPA. The HFPA has been consistently problematic in their treatment of minority stories and female creators. And I do want to emphasize that this needs to be an actual restructuring and not a performative move on Hollywood's part. The HFPA made a bit of a show out of reforming themselves recently, but many dedicated members of organizations such as GLAAD and Time's Up have been really vocal that it needs to be a, a pretty massive overhaul. I do think it's a good sign that NBC has canceled the ceremony. That's at least a real tangible consequence. Yeah. Um, after the Oscars so white controversy from a few years ago, I think a real sort of reckoning has been due. Then again, it did take nearly a century for people to realize that there was a diversity problem. So I'm a little hesitant to celebrate. Um, I think you're probably right that there needs to be systematic change. And I do fear that, um, HFPA may just add a few black members after this and call it good. I don't know. It might just be a low stake way for like big name celebrities to say like, of course, racism matters and then everything will go back to normal. Um, I think there's a joke in Bojack Horseman where he wins a Golden Globe for best musical for his like book biography, which um, not to completely disrespect the Golden Globes, but that's kind of shows uh, kind of how low stakes I think they are sometimes. Yeah. Let me just say on behalf of this podcast that we are also boycotting the 2022 Golden Globes, so don't even bother inviting us, Hollywood. <laughs> we will not accept. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, once they have a podcast category. <laughs> we'll win for Best Musical also. <laughs> but for now, we will be talking about the recent Golden Globe-nominated film, Promising Young Woman. Darkly comedic and deceptively sweet, Emerald Fennel's Promising Young Woman tells a story of revenge packaged in a bubblegum pop exterior. The film, released in December of 2020, tells the story of Carrie Mulligan's Cassie as she attempts to destroy the lives of those involved in the sexual assaults of her late best friend. Before we sit down with Sarah, we're going to give our thoughts on the film. I want to say this film did not have the tone I thought it was it was going to. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to be some sort of gritty revenge film like Tarantino Kill Bill-esque. Uh, I definitely wasn't expecting it to be funny at all. It definitely is is earnestly like 
funny. Um, yeah. I don't know. It has the aesthetic of um, like a quirky horror movie. Like it follows a neon demon with all the like pastels going into neon colors. Um, but instead of some teenage girl, it's Carrie Mulligan who's 35. The tone is, is fascinating. Um, and I could talk for just the whole podcast about Carrie Mulligan's just face the whole time. Um, she has this great smirk whenever she's fooled someone. Um, and she seems like she's really enjoying it, but she also is so, so mad and she's so tired and she does all these things for retribution, but they, it never feels quite cathartic the way a revenge movie is supposed to yeah. feel. Um, it doesn't feel good what she's doing um, and it doesn't make her feel better. It just like releases some of the anger. And I really love that tone, especially for the subject matter. Yeah, I feel like this movie hit a really fantastic niche in the way that it was stylized. Like you were saying, it's so gritty and horrific in the subject matter, especially with the gut punch of an ending that we got. But everything is just so dreamy at the same time. And I really want to credit Emerald Fennel, uh, as the Academy Awards recently did, for her attention to detail and her choices as a director, especially with the tone and especially with the casting. Because the entire cast is full of like the most lovable and disarming actors that you could think of. Yeah, you have yeah. Bo Burnham, who is this beloved comedian. And then you have Alison Brie, who's always playing very likable, relatable characters in her projects. But there's still just such a sense of dread throughout the whole film as we find out that deep down, everyone, even people that we seemingly trust, are capable with are capable of getting away with atrocities in real life stories like this. I mean, you think of real life examples like Bill Cosby and people that we grew up trusting and, and, and adoring and finding out that they have this dark side to them. Mm. And one thing I've heard people comment on this movie is that the narrative sort of romanticizes revenge and glamorizes the way that Cassie doesn't really move on with her life. And I do think that's a valid critique, but I will say the way that Cassie exposes men for being abusive and the way that she exposes them for taking advantage of women and similarly exposes women who are complicit in covering it up. It is framed as being a little kind of like a girl bossy moment, but I also felt the way that she was torn between being able to let go of that past or choose to continue her mission to her friend because everyone else had moved on. I really felt that tension and I felt the tragedy of her essentially sacrificing herself to complete her mission after the one person that she really opened up herself to ends up betraying her. It's sort of a fearic victory as even at the end when she finally closes the case that had been haunting her her whole life there's still this emptiness at the end. So I don't think it was glorifying revenge. I don't think it was glamorizing it because it's just this powerful moment that just feels so empty and hollow at the same time. And I think that's a sign that the movie has really accomplished its goal in eliciting emotion. Yeah, I I definitely appreciate that we we get all these different perspectives. Um I mean, like men, women, professional people, friends of hers, coworkers are all, they all essentially say the same thing about what happened. Um, they blame 
Nina or blame the situation and they sort of excuse the men. Um, and I think it's re- also really important that no one in the movie ever says, they never say rape or they never say sexual assault. Um, Cassie never says it to the people she talks to. Um, but the, everyone she talks to knows what she's talking about and the audience knows what she's talking about. Um, and I think that really speaks to the way the culture is ingrained. Um, and it was really striking. Um, we also never see the video of what happened to Nina, which I think is a really, um, a really good choice in that yeah. I think often sexual assault is portrayed really irresponsibly in media. Um, and so I appreciate the fact that that didn't happen. Um, you were also talking about the ending. Um, and I think that I would agree that I, I think that kind of sets it apart from glamorizing or romanticizing um, revenge and the fact that she in a normal revenge movie where it's supposed to be feel good, like the, the main character wins. And I don't think Cassie really wins in the end. Um, but she's not, she's not present for the person who's responsible for all of this going to jail. Um, she like, and neither is the person she's doing all this for essentially. Um, I also want to note that in the original ending of the movie, Emerald Fennell has said that originally it ended with Cassie dying. Um, and then the studio was like, wait, this is really, this is a bummer. So you have to fix that. <laughs> um, so it even, it originally even had an even more bleak ending, um, which I think takes it away from being romanticizing, at least for yeah. me. I mean, when you compare it to other classic revenge movies, like I think of Taken or John Wick, where they sort of end up by, you know, Liam Neeson saves his daughter and everyone's happy. It's not that kind of ending at all. Um, And it is interesting that they did avoid depicting or mentioning violence explicitly until the end, Mm -hmm. which was such a horrific display of sexual violence. But honestly... It it's true that all too often we do see movies and shows that try to use sexual violence as part of a female character's story arc. It's almost a trope at this point. Um, and to get into specifics, uh, Game of Thrones was very guilty of this in the way that some of their major female leads, specifically Sansa and Daenerys, are assaulted at separate points on multiple occasions. And they try to frame the narrative that undergoing such victimization forged them into strong characters by the end. And that narrative to me is incredibly problematic. You know, they didn't succeed because of the trauma that they endured. They succeeded in spite of it. And it really makes light of the toll that it can take on these women. And it tries to make it seem as if they're better off for it rather than explore how Oftentimes the mental toll that assault can take on victims is often immobilizing. I I definitely think the concept of like the promising young woman is interesting. I think it's used effectively in this movie because it's a play on what people say about men after these sorts of things happen. Um, people say, oh, they had such a bright future. I didn't want to ruin it. They had so much going for them, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's something Connie Britton's character even says about Al, that he's like, he's a med, he's a doctor, he's really important, I didn't want to ruin that. Um, and then 
in the movie here you have two women, Nina and Cassie, who were med students and who had a lot going for them. Um, and their lives are completely ruined by this event in a way that Al's never was, even though yeah. hypothetically he goes to jail or something at the end of the movie. Um, and here it's not used as a one-stop like moment as um, it's not used as just a one moment that happened and it's used as a plot point of growth um, like it is in Buffy or in Game of Thrones or other shows um, or movies. It kind of completely decimates everyone um, involved in it in a way that um, I think felt more true to life, I guess. Um, and the big difference in the stories that I mentioned and in Promising Young Woman is that Promising Young Woman was written and directed by a woman. And I don't want to say that collectively men are incapable of writing nuanced stories of assault. But in this case, I feel that Emerald Fennell has so much more of a reverence for how crucial it is to tell the story in a way that isn't all shock value for the sake of being shocking. Mm. And ultimately, even after taking the time to read people's criticism of Promising Young Woman and that argument that it glorifies not moving on. I still feel that this story was both powerful and respectful, ultimately. After a quick break, we will be joined by Sarah Erskine to talk about her thoughts on Promising Young Woman. We all could use a little bit more time in our days. So why not save yourself a trip to the grocery store? With Instacart, you're able to shop from your favorite retailers and have all of the ingredients you need for dinner, your favorite movie night snacks, and much more delivered to you in as fast as two hours. Everything is carefully hand-selected by a personal shopper based on your preferences. And now with contactless delivery, your order will be safely left at your doorstep. To get free delivery on your first order over $35, Follow the link in the show notes to let Instacart know we sent you and help support the show. Instacart, never step foot in a grocery store again. For this section of our podcast, we're going to be joined by Sarah Erskine, a former Inclubi movie critic and a current office administrator at the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality. So, Sarah... What are your initial thoughts on Promising Young Woman? Well, um, I think that it was not exactly what I was expecting it to be. Um, I think I was expecting almost along the lines of like a Kill Bill, superhero, fantastic revenge story. Um, and it wasn't that. Um, I thought it reminded me a lot of the tone of the Hannah Gadsby special Nana, where it was kind of a buildup, you know, everyone was relaxed and then it, it got intense and it never kind of let you down from the intensity. The, the only, the, or the biggest maybe criticism of it all was that I liked that, that no release from the intensity. And then I think that the ending was kind of trying to give the audience that. And I didn't like that. I wished that the movie would have ended shortly after um, Cassie's death and kind of cut out all the 
the text stuff and the arrest stuff and the wedding stuff and all of that. I didn't, I thought that that was too exposition-y. It didn't feel like it, it, it melted together with everything else. Yeah. Like it was trying to put a bow on something that wasn't really meant to have a bow on top of it. Yeah, exactly. But kind of thinking about the ending um, and how everything ends for, for Cassie, um, what do you think this movie is saying on confronting trauma and on healing and things like that? I, I struggle to understand if it even does confront her trauma or does um, find any healing for anybody. Um, I think that she, there was the, you know, at one point she admits that she feels guilty that she wasn't there and that, that kind of guilt evolved into anger at, 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 you know, the system, the setup, the patriarchy, all of that stuff. But I think that other than that, even in that little moment where she almost confronted her own personal trauma, I don't think that any trauma was really confronted or anything was healed even for, you know, not for Cassie, not for Nina, not for, the audience, like nothing felt like it, it, it did that. It maybe eventually acknowledged it for the audience, but not no, no healing that I understood. Um, do you think that that was, how do you, how do you feel about it? Not re- resolving in some big sort of healing moment. Do you think that that, that was effective or that, was that unsatisfying? No, I liked that. I thought that that was probably more realistic than, like we said, wrapping it up with a bow because, you know, especially in this year, in these past few years with the pandemic and everything, it's like there is so much trauma and there's so much unacknowledged or unworked on trauma that that people face and that it's not only what happens to them personally, it's, you know, generational and those around you and and societal. And I think that it's more realistic and more accurate to say that, you know, she tried vigilante justice and she tried physical whatever, and it didn't, it was not successful that, that everybody's dealing with this in in a different way. And that it's, I mean, I'm assuming it's usually not that easy to, confront the trauma and to heal from it as a movie could wrap up. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you feel that Cassie is a character who is morally justified or do you think that this is a story that offers a commentary about the dangers of going down the sort of path that she went down? I think that in the beginning of the movie, it was definitely set up for the, for her to be the hero for the, how I felt as a, as a viewer is I was with her the first few scams she pulled on the guys from the bar. I was like, yeah, teach them that lesson, embarrass them and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But then it made me think about like, well, is this even making any real change? Will this embarrassment change these men? Does she feel better about it herself or whatever she's going through when she's done with it? I don't know. And I don't think that, and I think that the movie purposely kind of was more of an anti-hero situation. And I think that um, for me, it turned from being with her when she was um, confronting Madison, the Alison Brie character and kind of 
setting her up in a way that just seemed more violent than set when she set up the men. Um, the, the Madison one is when it, she kind of turned for me to like, this is going too far. This is not effective or productive in any way. I see her more as maybe like an anti-hero because nothing, it wasn't working and, and it ultimately didn't work. And, and whatever she was trying to do was not proven successful at all with Nina's mother the Molly Shannon character they had such a short scene and Nina's mom was basically like you gotta stop like as you know she partly represents Nina's memory as well and she's saying like this is not right and so it's almost you know she Nina didn't have consent over what had happened to her with Al and the med school boys and then Mm -hmm. again Cassie didn't have Nina's consent to do this vigilanteism. And so it's hard to see her as a hero when it's not, we're assuming, I'm assuming on Nina's, you know, dying breath wasn't like avenge this or something like that. So it's, it's her making up, creating something to make herself feel better more than, more than for having Nina's consent to do this on, on her behalf. Yeah, I think that's a good point to move into thinking about how we would rate this movie. We are going to give our own scores based on a five-star system. One score will judge the cinematic quality of the movie, while the other, the Incluvi score, will judge the quality of the representation in the film. So what did you think, Sarah? So I gave the Incluvi score as a two. Um, I thought that it's great to see a female director write a female-driven story, you know, I feel like a certain identity should tell their own story. And and so that was, that was great to see. Um, but I gave it a lower score because it was very, very white. Um, it was not besides the gender diversity or representation. There wasn't much other representation. Um, besides the, the Laverne Cox character, whose name I can't remember, but um, the, her boss at the coffee shop, I thought that while the character was just like an exposition role, you know, the sidekick, the the best friend that we see in a lot of like romantic comedies and stuff like that. I thought it was nice that they didn't make it specifically a trans character, that there was no mention of that, that it was just this is her friend or her boss or whoever. Um, but that part was so small that um, I didn't give it as much weight for the Movie score, I gave it a three out of five because there were some moments I really, really liked. I could not get enough. I watched that opening scene a few times because I thought it was just so well done and fun and interesting and realistic. Um, But I couldn't. I gave it a three because I could not get over the ending. All I could think of was an arrest isn't going to do anything. He's going to be released. He's going to not be charged with anything and go on with his life and everything is going to be fine. So that, I think that maybe bothered me enough to take it down a couple points. Yeah. It's definitely interesting to end with him getting arrested when we know for a fact in reality that perpetrators like this usually don't even get indicted or anything after that point. You know, it's not even the first time that this specific character was investigated for a sexual-based crime and had gotten away with it the first time. So going to my ratings for the movie score, 
I'm going to give Promising Young Woman a score of four stars. Like I said, I do find the criticism of the movie valid. But to me, I just found the movie really smart and really sharp. And the way they play with genre really requires a great amount of skill and of reverence for film from the production team. And I really just appreciated the hyper-stylization and the colors and the music and the costumes and obviously Carrie Mulligan's performance. They were all really incredible and firing at all cylinders, and I think the movie definitely earned its score for that. The Incluvi score is going to be three stars for me. I wouldn't describe Cassie or any character in this movie as aspirational, per se, but it's really refreshing to see a complex female-led revenge story, considering that the genre has been mostly populated by men. I do echo your sentiment on the film being very white, and although I'm always happy to see Laverne Cox representing as a trans woman of color on screen, her inclusion doesn't necessarily make the movie diverse, especially when she's essentially playing, you know, the black best friend character. It is cool that we're getting closer to crossing the threshold of having trans characters as leads, but I just really want to get there sooner than later, honestly. For the Incluvi score, I gave it a five. I, I of course, know that like it's not, it's not very rep- representative of like minor like racial minorities, um, but I do think it is, um, and like Sarah said, a female directed it's female led um and it's about women's issues um and i thought that was really powerful um i also appreciate this the fact that laverne cox's character um is in it but she's not playing the trans best friend she's playing the best friend um and i think that sort of casual representation is really important um so i appreciated both those aspects um i also gave it a five um as a general movie score. Um, I think it's beautiful to watch. Um, it, the coloring and the tone just were really astounding to me. And I really, um, I really, really liked it. Um, I think the way that the story is told, um, the way the story is set up as this epic sort of revenge thriller and the way it never really resolves or is cathartic i think is really effective um and a really effective way to talk about these issues well thank you so much sarah for joining us for this discussion and for all of the insights that you've given us where can our listeners find you online not super active on twitter but that's probably my main social media which is at sarah with an h e erskine e-r-s-k-i-n-e um on my twitter but also if you're at all interested um the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality has a Twitter and Facebook that is interesting to follow as well if you're if you're interested in any sexual science stuff. Awesome. This episode of the Inclubi Movie Podcast was hosted by Aria Davis and me, Matthew Stiuso. Our show is produced and edited by Hazel Boulevard. Our executive producer is Kathy Yee. Special thanks to Sarah Erskine for joining us this week. Our theme music is made by Waterboy. You can visit Incluvi.com to rate movies on their diversity and read reviews focused on representation in media. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Incluvi. That's I-N-C-L-U-V-I-E. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to join us in two weeks when we will be discussing Latin American representation in film. 